Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. There's only one statewide measure on California's March ballot, and it deals with some of the state's biggest challenges, homelessness, substance abuse, and mental health. Proposition 1, backed by Governor Gavin Newsom, is a two-part measure that asks voters to approve a nearly $6.5 billion bond to increase treatment beds and supportive housing. It also makes big changes to how existing mental health funds are spent. Critics worry Prop 1 would cut funding for certain mental health programs and force people into treatment. We'll hear from both sides after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Nina Kim. Twenty years ago, Californians voted to fund mental health programs by taxing residents who make more than a million dollars. That's not going to change under Proposition 1, but how that tax revenue is used will, requiring more money to be spent on homelessness and addiction. Prop 1 also asks voters to approve a nearly $6.5 billion bond measure for treatment beds and supportive housing. Here's Governor Gavin Newsom backing the measure in an ad. Mental health has to be addressed differently, and California has to lead the way. The plan received bipartisan support in the legislature, but opponents say it would mean cuts to some mental health programs and lead to more involuntary treatment. Here to break it all down with us is Kristen Wong, healthcare and policy reporter for Cal Matters. Kristen, welcome to Forum. Thanks. It's always great to be here. And Guy Marzarotti is with us, reporter and producer for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Hey, Guy. Hey, good morning. So what's Prop 1 trying to address, Guy? What's the driving force behind it? Yeah, I mean, the way I've thought about what it's trying to address is really a specific group of Californians who are at the intersection of homelessness and then severe behavioral health issues. So almost kind of like a Venn diagram. On one circle, you have all the Californians who are experiencing homelessness, and that can range from someone who's like, you know, missing rent and having to couch surf to someone who is living in a tent with a a severe substance use challenge. And then the second circle, I would say, is like all the folks in California who have 
behavioral health challenges. And that can also run the gamut, right? Anxiety, depression, all the way to like schizophrenia. Prop 1 is really aimed at the overlap between homelessness and then people who have really severe mental behavioral health challenges. So we're talking about homelessness, but it's not totally about someone helping someone make rent or get that small boost on their feet. We're talking about mental health, but it's not about, you know, therapy and peer support. It's really people who have these debilitating, uh, you know, behavioral health challenges who are suffering most visibly often on the street. And it has two parts, right? So run down the first part for us, which is how it reworks, how funds are spent for mental health care services or under the Mental Health Services Act guy. Right. So it's going back to voters who approved the Mental Health Services Act in 2004 and asking them to make some changes to how uh, that money gets spent. It's a 1% tax on uh, income over a million dollars. It's been called the millionaire's tax, and it funds mental health services to all of California's 58 counties. Um, the the rework that voters are being asked to approve is really kind of a refocusing of those dollars. There's not the tax is not going up. There's not new revenue coming in, but it's basically saying we need to focus more of this money, specifically 30 percent, going forward on housing. Housing meaning what, like temporary or permanent housing? I think it's you know it's going to run the gamut, but uh, clearly a, a, a driving force behind this is more treatment facilities. Um, you know, mm-hmm. for folks who have severe mental health or behavioral health challenges, and also supportive housing, so affordable apartments that come with wraparound services, come with on-site, um, you know, counselors or other other types of care. Um, and then that's in addition to this uh, large bond measure, which is also focused on building new treatment facilities, new supportive housing. Mm. Well, before we get into the bond measure, Kristen, you've described this sort of redistribution of tax dollars towards housing as one of the most significant shifts to the Mental Health Services Act since it was enacted. Talk a little bit more about the Mental Health Services Act and why this is such a big change. Yeah. So as Guy mentioned, the Mental Health Services Act was something, a tax that was passed by voters um, almost 20 years ago. And it really serves as part of the backbone of the current mental health system. The way that county behavioral health has described it to me is that there are sort of three, it's a three-legged stool, the way that mental health is funded right now. And the Mental Health Services Act revenue is one of those legs. So Doing anything to that leg really does impact sort of the stability of the entire stool. So it can generate billions of dollars in any one year, right? It does. And it's kind of a volatile revenue source because it comes from income tax. Um, But it has generated much more than anyone ever thought it would. And sort of the average is around $3.5 to $4 billion per year. And when you say it's one of a few sources, like a leg in a stool, those other legs are are Medi-Cal, for example? Yes, exactly. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about the bond part of all of this, Guy, the $6.4 billion bond measure. That's right. And most of that money, uh, as I mentioned, is going to go towards building treatment facilities. Um, So that could be something, you know, short term, like a a crisis care center, or they're also, you know, kind of proposing longer term residential facilities, you know, clusters of, of rehab communities, there might be some outpatient services funded there too. So that's more than four 
billion dollars of that $6.38 billion bond. The rest is going to go towards building that supportive housing. So it's about $2 billion for supportive housing. Again, affordable apartments that come with these on-site behavioral health services. But about half of that $2 billion is specifically going to go towards uh, housing for veterans who are suffering with behavioral health issues and who are experiencing homelessness or homelessness or perhaps at risk of being unhoused. And this is a key selling point, I would say, politically for Proposition 1 is the specific earmark towards helping California veterans. Hmm. So, so, Kristen, can you just give me a sense of just how much of a shortage we have in terms of providing the necessary, say, treatment beds, for example, in the state? How, how much do we fall short by? Sure. There have been a couple of studies done by RAND looking at how many acute treatment beds California needs. And the estimates range between 8,000 to 10,000 adult treatment beds that the state Mm. doesn't have. And of course, that does not include psychiatric or behavioral health treatment beds for minors, anyone younger than 18. And who is supporting this, Kristen? We've talked about how it has bipartisan support, but who specifically? Well, Governor Newsom is certainly the biggest proponent of the measure. I would say that, you know, to his credit as a governor, he has been, he has focused the most on mental and behavioral health during his entire tenure of any other state governor. Um, But it's also supported by some pretty big names. Of course, um, current Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg, who is also a former state legislator, was one of the key architects of the original Mental Health Services Act and also of this rewrite and proposed amendment to it. Um, And there are some other groups. A lot of a lot of cities have gotten behind it, um, as well as NAMI California. And why do they support it so much if it will in essence, maybe decrease the flexibility that they have to spend this money at the local level? I think it's a question or a matter of priorities. You know, I don't think that there's anyone in the state who would disagree with the statement that what we're doing on homelessness is working in California. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have more than 180,000 Californians living largely on the streets. And I think that this is an attempt to try to rectify some of that solution and also a recognition that potentially the way we should be prioritizing the way that we spend mental health dollars is on people who have the most severe need. Um, On the other hand, I would say that there are some pretty good research-backed arguments that mental health issues are not the catalyzing event of homelessness in California, that they're more a consequence of the circumstances. Um, And so prevent, you know, cutting flexibility, um, you know, that's certainly the thing that voters are going to have to decide on when when they're at the ballot box. Yeah, I I did see a big UCSF study that found that while mental illness is part of it, it's not the main driver. The main driver of homelessness is income loss. But I am struck by that figure that you quoted of 180,000 unhoused Californians. And that figure went up quite a bit, right, under Gavin Newsom's leadership. It has. It's increased about 30 percent since um, Gavin Newsom took office. So, Guy, who is opposing Proposition 1? 
Well, I think, you know, the opposition also breaks down into a few buckets because there's so many different pieces of what's actually in Proposition 1. So starting on the bond side, you have uh, conservatives who are, you know, generally against this type of state borrowing and spending um, who are opposing Proposition 1, specifically the $6.38 billion bond, which, you know, over time, it'll cost the state more than that, uh, given the interest payments. But then you also have on the bond a separate group of opponents who are focused on a civil liberties argument here. And they see the fact that this bond has the potential to be spent on locked facilities, so involuntary treatment. And that's why they're opposed. They say this threatens uh, the civil liberties of, of Californians. So they come at it from a slightly different angle. And then switching over to the reforms of the Mental Health Services Act, you do have some uh, service providers who, as you mentioned, you know, might fear the trade-off will result in cuts for them. And then some folks on the county side of government. So this is where I think you see a big split between mayors and city government who largely have been supporting this measure. They feel like they're the ones held responsible by voters for the conditions on the street versus county governments who are currently getting the money from the Mental Health Services Act. They fear a loss of flexibility to spend it. And they also fear perhaps even having to spend less and, and you know, cancel contracts or, or not renew contracts with certain nonprofits. Mm, interesting. So, Kristen, how much money has the uh, pro prop one side raised? I mean, we are already getting our ballot booklets in the mail. So, uh, you know, how much have the have they raised, I guess, past tense? Yeah, the yes on prop one campaign has a very large war chest to draw from. Um, it's raised more than $14 million. And sort of in comparison, the very grassroots citizen opposition campaign has is really running on no money. They've they've declared $1,000 raised. $1,000. So it's, it's mostly volunteer work on their end. We're talking with Kristen Wong, a reporter who covers healthcare and policy for Cal Matters, and Guy Marzarati, our politics correspondent on KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. And we're talking with you, our listeners. What questions do you have about Proposition 1? What more would you like to know to be able to make a decision on how to vote on it? Do you or someone you know have experience with our mental health system? And how has it worked or not for you? You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. We're at X, Instagram, or on our digital community on Discord. And you can give us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're taking a look at Proposition 1, the statewide measure appearing on the March ballot that's aimed at changing how existing mental health funds are spent and approving a nearly $6.5 billion bond to increase treatment beds and supportive housing. Critics worry, though, that it will cut funding for certain mental health programs and maybe force people into treatment. We're with Guy Marzarati, politics correspondent for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, and Kristen Wong, a reporter covering healthcare policy for Cal Matters. And we're with you, our listeners, sharing the questions that you have about Proposition 1, your experiences with our state's mental health care system at 866-733-6786, at the email address forum at kqed.org, or by finding us on our social channels at KQED Forum. I want to bring into the conversation now Claire Courtright, a policy director at Cal Voices. And Claire is an opponent of Prop 1. Claire, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So tell me why you oppose Prop 1. Sure. Um, And first, I'd like to say who we are and who I am. Um, Cal Voices is the oldest peer-run organization in California. We've been in continuous operation for 75 years. And peer-run means we're run entirely by um, and for people with serious mental illness, including myself, um, who has been a client um, in the public behavioral health system and a service provider. Mm-hmm. And we are direct service providers um, funded through MHSA. Um, and so we are, you know, as I said, we're the clients and we're the service providers in this system. And why we oppose Prop 1, well, it's really a story about what's being built and what's being destroyed. And I think it's really important for people to understand that um, the Mental Health Services Act that passed in 2004, that was because the disabled community wrote it, gathered 373,000 wet signatures to put that measure on the ballot to vote ourselves um, a source of funding to expand the nature of mental health services for our poorest, most severely mentally ill, um, receiving services through the county. And, you know, the reason for that really um, is that Medi-Cal doesn't do enough for us. We have, you know, complex um, permanent disabilities and the range of things that health insurance will do for you um, is not sufficient to support us. And so <clears throat> this source of funding um, was special, right? Because uh, it was a distribution down to the counties and a mandatory community planning process involving us um, to design the programs and services that we needed for ourselves um, to better serve our population and maintain stability um, and maintain wellness over time. And so that is really what is on the chopping block now. Claire, Um, you feel like the Mental Health Services Act, as it's been for the last 20 or so years, has been successful as is? It hasn't had issues with it? uh, Well, that's a good question. I mean, you, you would have to clarify what you mean by issues. There have been Um, implementation problems, but those were largely related to uh, the state's management um, in its oversight roles. In terms of whether it's been effective for clients, absolutely. I think um, uh, Mayor Steinberg is going to be on later, and, you know, the Steinberg Institute released a great study showing how effective MHSA services are at reducing homelessness, um, 
incarceration, um, they are successful. And, you know, I think one of the things the administration has said is that, you know, it's time to uh, modernize the Mental Health Services Act as if it were failing. But there was absolutely no analysis or justification um, offered by the administration as to why they would feel that the Mental Health Services Act currently isn't highly effective for clients. Hmm. Um, but let me circle back because I have limited time and say, you know, this is what people need to understand. The Mental Health Services Act already serves the most um, uh, vulnerable and severely impacted by their disabilities, right? The target population of the MHSA is severely mentally ill adults and minors and their families being served in the public mental health system through county services. And the MHSA is really, um, it's cake, it's not icing, it's 30% of that funding. Um, and you know what we are looking at. I know service cuts keep getting framed as a possibility. No, they're 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 a necessity. If Prop One passes, you know, here's a quote from the California Behavioral Health Directors Association, right, who run all these programs, and they say if if Prop One passes, they have to cut quote core services by fifty to eighty percent locally, basic services, outpatient crisis services, outreach recovery services, peer-based services, which are required to establish and maintain stability for high-risk consumers and safe lives. Now, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. No, no. And so I, I'm wondering how specifically you think if your organization experiences cuts, it will affect your work at Cal Voices. Absolutely. So, you know, understanding that the MHSA was... Um, you know, designed and, and passed by disabled people, we built on those gains. And one of the ways that we built on those gains um, is we pioneered becoming mental health service providers to each other. It's referred to as peer support. Um, and, you know, we kicked down doors to get recognized um, and credentialed as Medi-Cal billable providers um, in, in our public mental health system. And California was the 48th state to do so, right? We really had to kick down doors to make that happen. And so that entire body of work, which is now a workforce 2,500 strong, the most diverse workforce in healthcare, um, all of those services are MHSA funded and they're discretionary on the part of the counties, right? So if the, the counties lose a bunch of their discretionary budget, the first thing that's gonna go is this entire body of highly effective work um, from peer support, uh, you know, so that's on the chopping block. And, you know, in Sacramento County, it's so many other things as well, right? These deep service cuts um, are going to affect the 60 beds of Step Down Crisis Residential, which is a voluntary program. I've worked in them in another county. They're terrific. Those 60 beds are on the chopping block. Um, you know, the mental health urgent care center in Sacramento that I've utilized for a person with no insurance, right, uh, can walk in seven days a week and immediately see a psychiatrist and immediately um, have access to medications without going to an ER. Um, you know, that's one of the special things about MHSA is being beyond Medi-Cal, it covers the uninsured. So, you know, all these things are uh, on the chopping block and each county is unique in its programming because of the local community programming process. So it's difficult to get a sense statewide of um, you know what the ultimate impact of all of this will be in each unique county, um, but it's clearly devastating, and and it's why the counties opposed it. Uh, do you share the concerns of other opponents around the issue of involuntary treatment? Um, sure, absolutely. Um, so obviously, the other part of Prop One. Um, is the bond measure. Um, 4.34 billion or about two thirds of that bond 
is dedicated to the Behavioral Health Continuum Infrastructure Program, which is a program administered by the administration um, that makes grants, so cash, you know, cash to um, private businesses and a little bit to counties um, to build out uh, treatment facilities. And so really the question is, you know, how much of that 4.34 billion is the administration going to dedicate to locked facilities to support their other behavioral health um, initiatives, including Senate Bill 43, which passed last year, which for the first time makes anybody with a severe substance use disorder um, able to be placed on involuntary holds and placed in long-term institutionalization under a conservatorship. And, you know, what? there's so much going on in the mental health landscape, and that's a really important piece, right, because the governor was reportedly very upset that 56 of our 58 counties just refused to implement that law for two years because they lack Right. They lack the physical buildings in which to place people for involuntary SUD treatment. So, you know, it's kind of a debate. You know, where is this four point three four billion for treatment facilities? Where is that money going to flow? Is it going to flow to voluntary and unlocked facilities or is it going to flow to um, locked facilities to be able to implement these um, expanded involuntary treatment laws? And really, I have to say, that's a question for the administration. Right. Because they stripped out the language in the bond that forbids them from building um, locked facilities and replaced it with language that allows them to build the locked facilities. And they are building locked facilities currently under BCHIP. And I have not seen the administration go on record with that. And I haven't seen anyone in the press actually ask the administration, you know, what do you intend to build? How much money is going to flow to, um, you know, unlocked facilities that we agree with? And how, how much is going to flow to the involuntary um, end of the system? Um, and I just haven't seen them go on record and commit mm. to not building locked facilities with that money or or to commit to only using a certain portion of it. And I think that's an important question for a voter, right? You want to know, am I am I voting for voluntary unlocked facilities or am I voting for, you know, a, a schema of, you know, mass incarceration that would make the 1994 crime bill blush, right? I think it's, a, it's relevant, right? We, we should be able to know that. We just don't know that because that question has not been answered. And, you know, relatedly, how does this relate to the MHSA funding? Well, that that deep service cuts, the funding is shifting into uh, what's called housing interventions, but the administration uses uh, the term, you know, real housing and clinical treatment beds. They mix those terms up all the time. They use them interchangeably, right? Housing might mean, you know, a locked institute for mental disease for six months, or it might mean permanent supportive housing. And it's really important to disambiguate those issues and know what you're talking about when you're using the term housing. Claire Courtright, Policy Director for Cal Voices and an opponent of Proposition 1. Thanks so much for laying out your position. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So I do want to follow up on a couple of things that Claire brought up, Guy and Kristen. And first of all, the point about the fact that, look, if there's no new money on the mental health care services side, right, it's going to be a reallocating of the money, then certain cuts are certainly going to have to experience them, right? Certain programs are going to have to experience cuts. No, Guy? Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think Claire raises a really important point here, which, I, you know, as I followed this measure, as it made its way through the legislature over the last year, she's right that supporters of this have not been bashing the Mental Health Services Act. They are not arguing that Prop 63 has failed. What they're arguing is the needs of the kind of programs Claire discussed, peer support, drop in uh, counseling, is just less 
important right now than helping people who are experiencing uh, the most severe challenges on the street. And that's the that's the calculation that supporters of Prop 1 are making or the argument. And then they're also making a separate bet, basically, which is that other programs the Newsom administration is working on outside of Prop 1, most specifically Cal-AIM, is we'll try to get private health plans to cover some of the mental health services that will lose funding potentially under Prop 1. I don't know how that will turn out in the years to come, but that's part of the calculation that they're making, that what they lose by changing the Mental Health Services Act can be made up for elsewhere. The other thing that I was struck by, Kristen, was Claire's concern about involuntary treatment. And and one of the things that I was trying to listen for and also hearing in Guy's statement about the potential for an increase in voluntary treatment, and Claire saying it's not clear uh, whether or not or how much this will be directed towards boosting involuntarily involuntary treatment, uh, you know, holds or locked facilities and so on. Can you just shed any insight on that? Has anyone asked them, you know, what they're thinking proportionally on this? I, I can certainly try and I can say that I, I have asked the campaign and I have asked the administration this question. Um, there is a legislative analyst office report that kind of that, that cites the administration in a breakdown of the numbers. So I know there are a lot of numbers floating around. I will try to be very clear with them. Um, the report estimates that from the bond money, about 4000 350 supportive housing units would be built and then 6,800 to about 6,900 treatment beds would be built using that $6.4 billion in bond money. I've gone to the campaign to try and get some clarification about what that, um, 6,800 treatment beds looks like, like, is that inpatient? Is that outpatient? And it is still a little bit unclear to me. We haven't totally finished our conversation, but from what I can tell right now, it's that those would be, that would be about 6,000 inpatient treatment beds. Hmm. Um, So those are the beds that are not, that are in locked facilities. Also, I'll say, I know Claire said, oh, no one in the media is asking the governor this. <laughs> the governor did have an event on Prop 1 and was asked specifically this question, what you know role will lock facilities play in this? And his answer was, quote, it's eligible, but that's not what we're trying to recreate the past. We're leaping into the future and it's a county option only. It's not a mandate. So mm. we did ask, did not get specifics. And I think, you know, there is no complete roadmap on here are all the facilities that are going to get built yeah. as a result of this. But we did put the question to him. Well, let me go to caller TJ in Santa Clara. TJ, you're on. Uh, good morning. Uh, a couple uh, questions here, and I apologize I joined late, so maybe you've answered it. But one, I was reading in the spotlight or the uh, Mercury News yesterday that there was an earlier proposition like six or eight years ago to build uh, mental health uh, infrastructure and that that money hasn't been spent yet. So I'd like to know how this relates to that and also in particular with respect to bonds, uh, are these bonds going to be callable so that we have, if we have another huge surplus like we did last year, apparently, uh, we can redeem these bonds early and save on the interest expense? And I'll take my answers off the air. Thank you. 
TJ, thanks. So that's a two-part question. I'm going to go to you first on the first part, Kristen. I mean, it's hard to build housing in California, any kind of housing, and especially this kind. TJ is talking about a previous attempt to do this related to housing and using mental health dollars. Uh, Can you talk about that? Of course. Uh, TJ's got a great memory. I think um, voters might remember that in 2018, there was a, a similar ish bond measure on the ballot that was approved by Californians that asked to funnel some of this Mental Health Services Act money. It was $2 billion, so about half the amount for housing, into building supportive housing for people with severe mental illness. And all of that money has been distributed. And thus far, as you mentioned, Vina, it's really hard to build housing in California. It's really hard to build affordable housing in California. Um, thus far, only about 1,700 units have been built using that $2 billion, mm. um, which is quite a big difference from the 20,000 units that voters were promised in the campaign material. So even though there are some big key differences in Proposition 1 on the ballot this upcoming March, the portion that has to deal, deal with um, building supportive housing with the bond measure is, you know, a close parallel what happened um, in 2018. So you said that that bond promised 20,000 housing units and has built to date uh, just under 1,800. <laughs> Let me go to caller Sarah in Oakland. Sarah, you're on. Um, hi, I've been working in the uh, San Francisco mental health system for 25 years now. And um, <clears throat> there needs to be some kind of excuse me, accountability, if it's not a man, if none of this is a mandate, it's just a suggestion. I mean, the the San Francisco system is so politicized. We have a 1,200-bed facility that cannot be torn down, the old Laguna Honda Hospital, that should be being used. And Mm. there are no questions as to, I mean, like, that could be used. You know, we don't have any real beds san francisco general hospital has only two two units for locked you know to care for locked people that need that needs to be stabilizing and for people with severe mental illness that have been self-medicating on the street they need respite they need you know they need a locked facility they need somewhere where they will be able to stabilize and Unfortunately, the city mental health system focuses on contracting out. They, they've closed programs that are working well, uh, that have you know been in the in the memories of all the people that live in San Francisco. These were go-to places that have closed. They've mm. got new contractors. There's like over 800 contracted out programs that nobody can keep track of. I mean, so it sounds like you really do kind of like the the potentially less flexible aspect of this, that it does allocate more money to very specific areas. We're talking about Proposition 1 and what impact it will have with Guy Marzarati and Kristen Wong. And with you, our listeners, stay with us for more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Proposition 1 on California's March ballot deals with some of the state's biggest challenges, homelessness, substance abuse, mental health. It asks voters to okay a nearly $6.5 billion bond measure for supportive housing and treatment. And we're learning more about it this hour with Guy Marzarati, politics correspondent for KQED's Politics Desk, Kristen Wong for Cal Matters, who covers healthcare policy there. And you, our listeners, are joining at 866-733-6786 with your questions and comments about Proposition 1, your experiences with our mental health care system and how it's worked for you. And uh, there was a second part to TJ's question, Guy, that I didn't get to, which was the question of whether or not it will be recallable, you know, if, if for some reason oh, we like have Oh, like early repayment yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if there's any specific language in the prop that governs that one way or another. I mean, what we're looking at right now is about $310 million of payments uh, for the next three decades. Um, but I'm I'm not sure if just the usual rules apply as far as the legislature deciding, you know, we can pay this off early through the general fund. Doesn't Given the current budget situation, that doesn't uh, look likely in, in the coming years, I'd say. Well, this listener writes, I think Gavin Newsom, I think of Gavin Newsom as someone who thinks outside the box and does a lot for quality of life issues, especially for working people and the most vulnerable in our community. Nonetheless, if income inequality has risen dramatically as the driver of homelessness on his watch, Prop 1, while helping some people, sounds like it serves as a distraction from underlying problems. Let me go to Gabby in Walnut Creek. Gabby, you're on. Hi. Uh, Yes, I just wanted to say that my father is homeless. He lives out of his car. He's extremely paranoid and he causes a lot of accidents when he drives around. He'll, um, you know, fall asleep at the wheel and cause an accident. And then he'll claim that somebody poisoned him and that's why he, you know, blacked out or what have you. So he could actually use some forced care. Um, he's too paranoid to accept any care. He won't trust anybody. He he thinks doctors give him cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. he's somebody who could definitely benefit from um, somebody actually taking him in off the street. He does not belong on the street. Um, he's he's almost died several times. So okay. that's my comment. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for sh- sharing that. And, and I'm sure that is so much to deal with. M- my next call is from Michelle in Novato. Michelle, you're on. Hi, um, good morning. I'm so glad that this conversation is happening. Um, I work in the field of um, mental health uh, in, um, and I've, I, I've been observing uh, the general public's conversations or, or responses uh, to this change or this proposed change. 
And there doesn't seem to be enough attention to the things that will be cut. It seems that the perception is that this is going to add um, something to what we have existing. But to Claire's earlier point, um, the cuts to peer services, the cuts to crisis services are are profound. And the conversations that I'm um, seeing happening about those cuts and the impact uh, to our services are, are really dramatic. And it doesn't seem to me that the, pub, the general public is aware of that aspect of this. Um, and the other point I'd like to make has to do with locked facilities. Um, you know, we our, our state hospitals are now, you know, by and large filled with people who are um, placed due to legal reasons, forensic um, placements. There are not really any civil placements left, and the systems that are in place on a community level for civil placements are inadequate. So I think it's, you know, it's always unfortunate when someone needs to be in that kind of setting, but the capacity um, for the need is just not there. And adding Mm. folks who have, um, you know, severe substance use disorders to an already, you know, over-impacted system, um, there's going to be needed resources for that. So this is a lot more complicated than I think the general public understands. Well, Michelle, I appreciate you weighing on in on your concerns about Proposition 1. Joining me now is a proponent of the proposition, Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg. Mayor Steinberg, welcome to Forum. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We were just hearing from Michelle there, but she echoes other concerns that uh, opponents of the proposition have had about the cuts to programs, potentially leading to the firing of healthcare workers, as well as limited services for thousands of people. What is your response to concerns about program cuts? Well, I don't agree with it. Um, I don't agree with the contention because I don't think that's what will happen. Uh, a little bit of history here. I I, I maybe have a little bit of uh, hopefully credibility here because I was the original author of the Mental Health Services Act in 2004 as a member of the state assembly. <laughs> it was an idea we came up with to tax millionaires to fund an, an underfunded mental health system and uh, begin fulfilling the promise made in the 60s and 70s that when we shut state hospitals, we'd fund a decent system of community mental health care. And the initiative has generated $31 billion. Um, it's helped tens of thousands of people. I think the counties have largely, and the providers have largely spent the money well, but they haven't spent it focused on the original intent of the act, which is to spend most of the money on people with the most serious chronic and persistent mental illnesses, people living on the streets of California, primarily who um, are living in squalor and not getting the attention and help that they need. And so what this initiative does, it goes back to the original intent. 30% of the money for housing is absolutely crucial because we can't help people with mental health and substance abuse conditions if they're living under a bridge. 35% for wraparound services, again, for people in most chronic conditions, absolutely necessary. And the remainder for cutting edge prevention and early intervention programs for kids, for teenagers, to make sure they get the help they need so they don't suffer those terrible consequences of untreated mental illness. And so I think the focus is right. It's upfront accountability. Now, will existing programs be cut? No because the world has changed over 20 years in some ways for the better. Since we passed Prop 63, we now have CalAIM, which is the Medicaid reform that has allowed the state to bring down over the last two fiscal years, over $3 billion 
for mental health care for people with mild and moderate conditions. We have to weave all this funding together and make sure that we're serving everyone. But to keep the status quo, the counties and the providers, I, I have great respect for what they've done, but it's not their money. This was the people's money. And it was originally intended to help people in the most serious need who aren't getting the attention today. So with less of the pie, though, because it will be allocated, there are some programs that are getting that money that will experience potential cuts. But what I'm hearing you say is two things. One is that Medi-Cal funds will shore up some of that. And the second is that you feel like those programs weren't really designed for the intent of the Mental Health Mental Health Services Act that you uh, authored years ago. A- am I right? That's exactly right. I mean, what what's really happened, what, what when Prop 63 passed, Back in 2004, it's fair to say that it was really the only game in town. I mean, one of the only major funding sources for community-based mental health. And so it was spread, has been spread um, wide, but but thin, and it's helped a lot of people. Um, Now, there is additional funding that did not exist before that can shore up some of those things that Prop 63 was not originally intended to fund and and allow the three billion dollars to be spent on the tragedy of our time. I mean, people who who um, are dying on our streets. Well, Mayor Steinberg, let me ask you this. How quickly if people if voters approve this, how quickly will they see its effects? How quickly will they see more supportive housing and the other elements related to housing enacted? How soon will they be able to see a buildup of infrastructure of psychiatric and substance abuse treatment facilities and so on? Because the concern is how hard it is to build supportive housing, how hard it is to get infrastructure going in the state of California. Well, one of the provisions of of Proposition 1 is to allow essentially by right siting of the new beds that are authorized by the bond portion of the act. I'm sure you've talked about this, but there are two parts of the act. There's $6.3 billion bond to build thousands of additional crisis beds for people. And then the modernization of Proposition 63, which requires that more money be spent on housing and on the wraparound service model. Um, Look, um, implementation is everything. And I know that the state, the governor, certainly is committed to getting this money out as quickly as possible. But there are no immediate cures here. I mean, what's so hard about this issue is trying to prove a negative when it comes to homelessness. The state's gotten 71,000 people off the streets over the last five years. I know in my city, we've gotten tens of thousands of people off the streets, and yet the numbers have increased. And so um, and, and so we have to spend as much of this housing support under Prop 63 and also under the bond on assuring that people who are fragile and housed remain housed, even as we help them with whatever life challenges, physical or mental, they are dealing with. Um, And and so there's no immediate cure, but we've got to get the bond money out, as much of it out as quickly as possible. And over time, this is an essential shift to make sure that more focus is spent on the the biggest crisis in our state. 
I want to put this listener question to you, Mayor Steinberg. David writes, will supportive housing be built in all areas, including areas like Orinda, Danville, and Atherton? He's talking about wealthy communities in the Bay Area. Or will we only keep building more supportive housing in cities like Berkeley? Why aren't there more? Go ahead. No, the intent is to make sure that every community does its fair share. And certainly beyond Proposition 1, I give Governor Newsom um, great credit and the legislature for leaning into this issue of making it easier to build shelter, to build housing in all of our communities. Look, I'm a big city mayor, and so you would think that I would defend local control um, uh, to, to its fullest extent, and I don't. I think it is sometimes overwrought and overrated, and I think it is appropriate for the governor, for the legislature to continue passing responsible bills that give discretion to local governments, but say, we expect more housing production. We expect you to site uh, facilities for people in the greatest need and, and that we continue to push because if in fact housing and helping people living with mental illness is our highest state priority, which it is, then we can't have continue to have the numerous obstacles that let some, not all, but let some cities decide they're just not going to take part. Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg, a supporter of Proposition 1 and author of the 2004 Mental Health Services Act, which Proposition 1 aims to reform. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the time. And let me remind listeners, this is a fundraising period for many public radio stations, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And let me go to caller Rosemary in Livermore. Rosemary, you're on. Hi. I'm interested in in commenting on this this Proposition 1 as it may be administered from direct services street level. And I'm talking about outreach services, because that's where a lot of this begins, this can you help this person who has a severe substance abuse issue or or mental health issue. So as a person who's been on both sides of the desk, as a provider and as a consumer of mental health services and, and, and who was briefly homeless, I have to say that there is a gray area here where that I see where a person who has maybe committed crimes of poverty, like stealing food, and maybe having done it um, a few times and been caught and become part of the system because the cops had to come and take care of this call. And so maybe the person is mad, they're hungry, they're cold, they're wet, they're mouthy. And so the cop says, okay, I've had enough of you. Or it could be an outreach person. It doesn't have to be a cop. Livermore has some great, great police department, by the way. But, but these things happen. And so um, hmm. the person who is essentially getting swept up into the system may continue because they've, they've got terrible social skills. Terrible. That's not severe mental illness. That's just, off, that's just a terrible attitude. But they get caught up in this. And so pretty soon um, someone in the system says, you know, I've had enough of this jerk. I am going to put, take this one step further and into an, a more serious um, diagnosis. And so what I'm saying is that there are times when systems do serve the servers, and this is, this is really mm. easily in that category. 
Well, Rosemary, I think I understand what you're getting at here. And Guy, I want to go to you on this. It's just in terms of the the very complicated nature of being unhoused, uh, whether or not you seek services, whether or not you respond in ways that are assessed to, you know, determine very different modes of service, whether it be voluntary, involuntary, supportive housing, and so on. Can you talk a little bit to Rosemary's concern here about how this shift with Proposition 1 could affect some of that? Well, yeah, and I think it actually goes beyond Proposition 1 to kind of this sea change that Newsom has pushed in this intersection of like behavioral health and homelessness which also includes care courts, you know, making it easier to compel people into care and and compel housing for them, the expansion of conservatorship, so basically lowering the threshold in which someone can be conserved and the flip side of this the push of this reforms, which is to really, you know, uh, I guess force care, compel care, make it easier to get care for these people is what Rosemary is talking about. Like the flip side of that would be you're potentially ending up in situations where people by lowering the threshold, you're going to have more people pushed into involuntary care right. and, and involuntary treatment. Well, let me go to Catherine in Berkeley. Catherine, you're on. Hi, um, I'm Catherine in Berkeley. I've been on both sides. I've been an EMT and I've also been hospitalized myself, although not in California, Illinois. Um, so I, I've been watching this issue with great interest. Um, I'm staring at the campaign finance disclosure and I'm seeing like over 3 million from California Hospital Committee, Sutter, like the hospitals um, in total. And then I'm seeing over 1.5 million donated to the Yes on One campaign from um, health insurance companies like Blue Shield of California, um, Anthem Blue Cross, I'm seeing on here, United Healthcare. So I guess I'm wondering, why are hospitals and health insurance companies so interested in this and so interested hmm. in this proposition passing? What are they going to get out of it? Catherine, thanks. Kristen, you want to take that? Kristen, Wong? Sure. Sure. Sorry about that. I needed to unmute. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Hospitals and health insurance are interested in this, I think, on two fronts. On the one hand, um, the hospitals in particular are kind of the ones that are left um, uh, left in a tough spot when there are not enough treatment beds and they are seeing a, there has been increased demand. They're seeing a volume of patients, of people who need acute care or who are trapped in a hospital and they, they don't need acute care anymore. They need somewhere else, some sort of step-down care, a lower level of care, but that still comes with a lot of wraparound services and supports, and there is nowhere to send them, so they are essentially trapped in a hospital. I can say from my reporting on mental health and in, in other unrelated healthcare spaces, whenever I have gone to visit hospitals, um, you know, very sadly, if you, you walk through emergency departments, you will see people in hallways and just in locked rooms who are are there because the hospitals mm. have nowhere to send them. Um, but the other side of that also is that healthcare has always, healthcare industry has, they've been longtime Newsom supporters for a number of his initiatives as well. Yes. Well, we are hearing a lot of folks' comments that are concerned about Proposition 1, but overall, Guy, in the last 10 seconds, is it likely to pass? The polling looks like it, no? Polling looks like it. Funding would suggest so. But we have seen, you know, some surprises on bond measures like this. Just in 2020, a school bond everyone thought would pass did not. 
Guy Marzarati of KQED's California Politics Desk, Christian, Kristen Wong of Cal Matters. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.